Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here with another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. The Secret of Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act Court, it's called FISA Court, has given the FBI until January 10th to address abuses and lapses identified by the Department of Justice Inspector General in a recent report. That report, you may recall, heavily criticized FBI practices in its long-term spy case that produced no evidence of any American improperly conspiring with Russia during the 2016 presidential campaign. Today, I want to go over six ways that I think we were blind to screaming red flags about government surveillance abuse. Number one, let's talk about the FBI Woods procedures. I started writing about this a couple of years ago. These were FBI procedures created nearly two decades ago under then-director of the FBI, Robert Mueller. These Woods procedures, named after the FBI official who helped design them, were supposed to appease the secret of FISA court that had flagged abuses by FBI officials in their wiretap applications submitted to the court. The court found that over and over again there were inaccuracies in these submissions to the FISA court. This is a serious problem. The new procedures require strict verification of all facts and sources in a wiretap application by FBI officials all the way up the chain. Facts that cannot be properly verified, such as the facts in that political opposition research dossier that was presented to the FBI in 2016, facts that cannot be properly verified are to be removed from the wiretap application. That's what the Woods procedures say. The Woods procedures were designed, in other words, to prevent the very sorts of abuses that FBI officials committed in 2016 and 2017. How did that happen then? Well, the problem is it's left up to the FBI to execute the safety check upon itself, and apparently some officials there were not capable of doing so faithfully. Why were the Woods procedures set up if the FBI ultimately doesn't follow them and then nobody notices because there's no real oversight? What makes any of us think any new proposed reforms that come now will have a different impact. Number two, Congress. Despite many public reports of government surveillance abuses, a number of which I've reported on, Congress passed up its most recent opportunity to exercise some much-needed oversight in all of this. Two years ago, in January 2018, Congress reauthorized so-called Section 702 of the 2008 FISA Amendments Act. Section 702, something that was devised after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, allows the U.S. intelligence community really wide latitude to spy on U.S. citizens, something that was once thought to be unthinkable, but there were supposed to be protections built in so that innocent people's constitutional rights would be protected. Well, most of us know by now there were shocking abuses of this government authority, many of them exposed by whistleblower Edward Snowden, a contractor for the NSA. But even after all of this news and public accounts of things going wrong and abuses being committed, Congress voted down a measure to reform the law by adding significant safeguards. Insiders told me that at the time, we're talking January 2018, a majority of both Democrats and Republicans favored reforms. But shortly before the vote, the party's leaders instructed their members to renew the surveillance authority without the reforms, without new oversight. Critics say the reauthorization codified some of the most troubling aspects of the Section 702 authority that had been abused. 
In other words, there was a shot to make improvements, to correct some of the things that we knew through public reporting had gone wrong, but Congress passed on this oversight. Number three, a screaming red flag, the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, that secretive court that reviews the FBI's wiretap applications and approves them. Well, it has documented numerous serious government surveillance abuses over the years, and that's just the ones we know about. There are a lot of discussions in this court that never become public. But the court even issued a scathing review in the fall of 2016, accusing the National Security Agency, the NSA, of a problematic, quote, lack of candor that raised constitutional questions. Lack of candor is typically the same thing as saying they lied, they provided false information. But the court still remained publicly silent these past three years amid all the questions, all the public debate, amid the crisis of confidence, amid evidence that they had in hand about FBI wrongdoing in 2016, in this case, in which they spied on Trump campaign associates. The court only spoke out in recent days, well after the damning findings in the Inspector General report. Why was it silent? What would it have done, if anything, if the Inspector General had not come forward with his report? And by the way, the IG only initiated an investigation because during a congressional hearing on another topic, members of Congress asked if he was looking into this. One would think that would be a no-brainer, but he really doesn't have the authority to do so, apparently, until he's specifically tasked, and they did so. In other words, if that specific tasking had not happened, the IG might never have done the investigation, and the FISA Corp might not now even be spanking the FBI for the alleged abuses that it committed. Number four, election year red flags. Following sporadic reports of intelligence officials misleading Congress about surveilling U.S. citizens, this happened over the years, even spying on journalists like me, and even spying on political figures and their staffs, there was a series of red flags in 2016 and 2017 that should have drawn attention and action. Some of the same intelligence officials who we now know wanted to keep President Trump from winning the White House, apparently modified intelligence rules behind the scenes to make it easier to share and leak intelligence involving innocent U.S. citizens, including people connected to the Trump campaign. Now, this gets a little bit complicated, but when the intelligence community listens in on a legitimate target, let's say they have a wiretap against someone they suspect of being a foreign terrorist, their rules allow them to listen into innocent U.S. Americans who happen to have any communication with that target. Sometimes, for a period of time, the intelligence community even expanded its rules that if you mention a foreign intelligence surveillance target, let's say you send an email to somebody and you said the words Osama bin Laden, they gave themselves permission to look at all of your communications. In other words, behind the scenes, they've been giving themselves wide latitude to do all kinds of spying on innocent U.S. citizens. One of the protections was supposed to be that anybody captured in so-called incidental surveillance, let's call it accidental surveillance, any U.S. citizens captured communicating with a legitimate target because they happened to be in contact with this person, well, their names were supposed to be protected inside the intelligence community. Their names were not supposed to be revealed in a way that it could be used or distributed. That's called masking. The American names are supposed to be masked even inside the U.S. intelligence community. Well, during the election year in 2016, 
Obama administration requests to unmask the identities of such Americans reached a crescendo. Unmaskings are supposed to be rare and carefully considered. Someone inside the government at a high level with specific approval is allowed to request the unmasking of a name of a U.S. citizen who's in contact with a bona fide target, and they have to provide a lot of rationale and reasoning for why they want to see the name of this U.S. citizen, because, again, it's supposed to be protected. The privacy and constitutional rights of innocent Americans are supposed to be protected from unwarranted surveillance. But if officials provide a very good national security reason for having to see who these names are, who is in communication with a foreign terrorist target, for example, then a request to unmask the name or names is granted. Well, again, this is supposed to be something that rarely, if ever, happens. But we come to find out this was being done on a near-daily basis in 2016, the election year. Again, Obama administration officials were requesting to unmask the identities of all kinds of Americans whose information was collected incidentally during the monitoring of other targets. Then, There was a long stream of leaks of this intelligence information, of the names of these people in a detrimental way, especially some that were connected to the Trump campaign. There were leaks to the media that were harmful to Trump, some of it true, some of it not, always by anonymous sources, because such leaks are at least improper and sometimes illegal. Add to that that government insider searches through a key NSA database suspiciously peaked in 2016 as well. Former top intelligence officials were hired as analysts appearing on TV almost daily to make anti-Trump claims and accusations that sometimes ended up proving wildly false. These were all election year red flags that I don't think we paid enough attention to. Another screaming red flag has to do with FBI Director Christopher Wray. I wrote about this a couple of times in the past few years. Wray has falsely testified to Congress and said in speeches that there have simply been no 702 surveillance abuses. Now, this is surprising because many of them have been outlined by the FISA court and made public. Others have been reported widely in the press. But surprisingly, when Ray made these claims, nobody questioned him about it. The documented abuses are out there for everyone to see, and I've made lists of them. They're not even in question. So why was the head of this important agency saying the opposite in front of members of Congress and at a speech. If he either doesn't know about surveillance abuses or knows about them and is being misleading, it's a problem. It doesn't bode well for the notion that this FBI director can or will clean things up. And lastly, I think the sixth screaming red flag I want to talk about today is the media. With few exceptions, We in the news media largely delivered a collective yawn after the initial furor over various recent abuses. We dropped the ball on seriously reporting on all of this in an impactful way, compliantly chasing the shiny objects tossed by those who wish to direct the narrative. That means instead of holding accountable those responsible for shocking government surveillance practices, as we found out about them, we allowed ourselves to become distracted by questions like, Where was Edward Snowden hiding out? Or how long would WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange avoid U.S. prosecution by living in asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London? We should have been investigating the documents and the information that they gave us that revealed, again, shocking surveillance abuses. But instead, 
we got off track. We have in place a system of checks and balances. The media, Congress, the FISA court, the Woods procedures. But in each instance, we can now see that they failed us. I, for one, am not shocked to find gambling going on at the casino. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, leave a comment, like it, share it with your friends, and consider subscribing to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast and Full Measure After Hours. Those are two of my podcasts. You can listen to them on iTunes or your favorite distributor, or visit CherylAckeson.com and just look at the podcast tab. You can listen to them right there. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Thanks for listening.